A couple of days ago, I saw a situation on the news where there was one of the mothers of st students who were killed in Florida was yelling at Trump through the camera. And um, it reminded me of a Suda that we've studied before called Born from Those Who Are Dear. And it addresses a delusion, the delusion that those who are close to us bring us happiness and joy. But those that are close to us bring us sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. And it's hard to consider that because ordinary people who live in the world who don't know the Dharma think that what they have in the present moment is going to be present forever. That is the, the sweetness, the joy, the pleasure, the happiness that our family gives to us on any given day. And just as they give it to us, they can take it away. So, the Dharma requires that we understand the world that we live in, that we understand the reality, the laws, the physics of this reality that we live in so that we can coexist in, in it with others with a certain stability and peace. And so there are three things to understand. Well, there's more than three, but there are three very important things to understand about this reality that we live in. One is impermanence, two is suffering, and three is non-self. If you have seen those three, if you understand those three, and you understand that this world and this life in no way is designed to cooperate with you. That you have to learn how to cooperate with it. So the first thing that we see is, for instance, when there's the death of a child, there's a lot of despair, sadness, lamentation, and woe. And we can understand why people who don't know the Dharma have never bothered to learn and understand how this world works. Get upset and strained and stressed 
it's interesting that we don't get upset about the people in the next county or the people who live down the street. But there's a lot of grief involved when the person is in family, the person is close to us, whether it be our husband, our wife, our mother, our father, our son, our daughter. And for those who understand, there is no guarantee that we will have a situation where our children will outlive us. There's a hope. Certainly, we can offer our prayers that that be so. But to have an expectation that that will happen is denied by what we see in the world every day. So why would I set myself up with the expectation that my child will live longer than me when every day I can look at newspapers and news reports and see that children are expiring all over the world? Now what can I do about that? What what can I do to relieve the pain of the reality that might happen, might befall me. Well, the first thing I can do is not to set up the expectation that that will happen the way I want it to, that I will not live as long as my children do. But then I can also make sure that every day I make them feel welcomed in the world and appreciated in the world. That instead of asking them to be perfect like I think I want them to be, that I appreciate them for who they are and what they bring to the world themselves and express that every opportunity that I can to make them feel as precious as they feel to me. That's the thing. Now, suffering requires that I understand why I suffer so that I can grow beyond that stress and that suffering. And the reason that we suffer is because we crave something to be different than it is. And that ain't going to happen. You know, what happens in a moment is the truth of that moment. And we learn to realize that why should I not want this 
for myself, but I see that everyone around the world is touched by the same thing that I'm being touched with right now. And so it's up to me to keep my head clear and peaceful so that I can work through the process and work through the problem. Understanding that it is not a punishment, it's not a curse, it is just the world being what the world is, giving me on this day what it is that it's giving me on this day. Changing, taking something away from me that has brought me happiness and giving me something that causes me to work a little harder in being peaceful in my day and being loving in my day. And that too is a part of the gifts that the world gives us. The reason that we have so much problem with coming and going, and that's the nature of life, is coming and going. The nature of the world is coming and going. The nature of reality is coming and going. But the reason that we have so much trouble accepting it and being a part of it is that we think that we are. And so one of the things that the Dhamma requires us to do is to lose the sense of self. It doesn't mean that there's nothing there. It just means that it's not what we think it is. Because as long as I see myself as an individual, as long as I define myself as an I, that means that there are things that belong to me, that I covet and protect, that I feel is my treasure, my due, and that I am pained when it's taken away. I lose my sense of balance and equanimity when what I consider to be mine is taken away. But this only occurs when I feel that I am an individual. I am someone separate from everyone else. And this takes us back around to the beginning of the Sutta. That because I feel that there's a certain ownership between me and others, it hurts when I lose it. It causes me stress and sorrow when it is taken away from me because it belongs to me. But again, that's only because I am living in the delusion that I am and that what belongs to me is mine. So, when we have these tragedies, and I'm not for a moment saying that they're not serious and they're not a tragedy and they should be worked with and worked on, but it's not 
helping to be sad and sorrowful because the whole situation has to do with the fact that there was more anger involved than there was love involved. And it is my purpose and your purpose to bring to the world what's missing, not what it already has. It has enough anger. It has an abundance of anger. And we have to learn how to be loving in spite of the presence of non-love. That we have to learn how to love our children and our friends and our family and our neighbors and the rest of the people we don't know, strangers, We have to learn how to love them, even when there's some voice inside of our head saying to us that right now they don't deserve love from me. Because this is the, the time that's self-evident that more love is needed. Because somehow there has been miscommunication, there has been misunderstanding between the family member that I'm working with, whether it's my son, my mother, my father, my daughter, my neighbor, my community. There's been a misstep. There's been a misunderstanding about the purpose that we're here for. And we're here to support and love, not to judge and condemn. Now, this is not to say that what happened wouldn't have happened anyway. But it is our mandate to not forget why we're here and not lose our capacity to love everyone at all times. Our hearts go out to the parents in Florida, the parents in Syria, the parents in Somalia, the parents in Afghanistan, the parents in Iraq. All of the suffering, all of the loss is there for us to learn to practice with and hold on to our love and not lose our hearts because of anything that happens on the outside. Because, again, the first thing we must remember is where we are. And we're in Samsara. And Samsara is a college. It's, it's a place for us to learn how to be loving in spite of things not going quite well with us or going according to our plan. Because remember, in this, in this reality, we have no plan. We have no control. And this is what we're here to learn. This is what we're here to experience. 
so that we can lose our sense of self and conditional love. That thing that says, well, I'm only going to love you when you're doing what I want you to do. That I'm only going to love where I am when it is a cooperating and the weather is nice and the sun is shining. I'm only going to be in joy when it's going my way. And life says, no, that's not the way we learn. That we learn how to be in joy when it's the crappiest day ever. The most horrific day ever. Because we're going to have those days when things don't go our way. When things happen that will pain most people, will cause most people to lose their minds and lose their heads. But we're here to learn how to work through that too. With the same appreciation and the same love that we have when everything is going our way. This is what we're here to learn. This is what we're here to experience. And we only know it when unfortunate things befall us. We're not tested when things go our way, when everyone appreciates us. That's not the test. That's just a comparative lesson that says, this is what it feels like when things go your way. This is what it feels like when they don't. And you're going to have a lot of these. And it is up to us, each and every one of us, to keep our hearts open. Because we're here to keep our hearts open. That's our purpose. That's our reason for being here. Not for getting angry. Not for being judgmental. Not for condemning. But understanding that everyone would be better if everyone could be better. We will begin this week on taking lessons or suttas that pertain to non-self so that we can all find that in us. So what I would ask everyone to do until the next time we see each other is to think about why they think they are who they are. What is it that makes you feel like you're an individual? Is it your body? Is it your feeling? Is it your thoughts? What is it that makes you think that you are something separate from everything else? Okay. Because until you find that out, you won't know what the driving motivated force is that makes you so delusional. Now remember, this is not about annihilation. This is not about saying, well, you're something now, but when you find out who you really are, you'll be nothing. And you, you know, No, 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 that's not about that. It's just about saying it's not who you think it is. 
But you've got to let go of that self-identification in order to look around and dig underneath and see what it really is. In one of the suttas, the Buddha said, abandon the things that are not you. And he says, when you abandon the things that are not you, you will be happy for a long time. So right away in that sutta, it tells you that there is something left, there is something more that exists when you lose the things, when you abandon the things, when you put down the things that are not you. And he says, form is not you. Abandon it. And when you abandon it, you will be happy for a long time. Feelings are not you. Perception is not you. Consciousness is not you. Thinking is not you. Now, when they say consciousness, and they're talking about the five aggregates, they're talking about sense consciousness. Okay? Sense consciousness. Not you. Anything that arises and falls can't be you because you're there when it's there and you're there when it's not there. You're there when it's good feelings and you're there when it's not good feelings. You're there when you were three and you're there when you're 30 and you're there when you're 63 and you're there when you're 83. Well, you can't be these things and be those things too. They're gone. They rose and they fell. So again, look at what keeps you in that place of delusion. And next week we'll start to work on non-self, emptiness. The chant that we start out our meditations and our gatherings with is the one who bows and the one who is bowed to are both by nature empty. that every object in reality that we think is real and substantive is empty. And a quick lesson on that, how do I know that? It's because it can bring some people happiness and it can bring some people sadness. Well, if it can bring both those things or many other things in two, how can it be anything? It's empty doesn't mean that there's nothing there. That means that there's everything there. Okay. Any comments or questions? I treated my daughter like she needed to be perfect. And she died a year ago. And so what? how do I wrap myself around that, the forgiveness aspect, forgiving myself, and for other mistakes? You start with the acceptance that what you did was what you did. And that the reality is that what we do in a moment, no matter how incorrect it might seem on reflection, using hindsight, at, at the time that we were doing what we were doing, we thought it was the best thing to do. Based on all that we had gathered in life and all that we'd heard about and all of the books we read and all of the workshops we went to, we felt that we were doing the best for those that we cared for. And so the first thing is to let go of judging yourself, condemning yourself. You did your best. 
the thing about the concept of impermanence is that we come and we go. And again, what we understand is that there's no rhyme or order to this coming and going. You know, we come and go. They say that it has a lot to do with past karma. I don't know. It's an explanation. But what I do know is that there's no order with it. You know, that doesn't mean that anybody was insufficient. It just means that this is the way it happened on this day. Now, the way that we move on is always through acceptance. And so it's up to you to now let it go. Because by holding on to any recrimination or guilt doesn't change anything. Doesn't make anything different. So let it go. Love yourself. Forgive yourself. Your intent was to make her the best person that you felt she could be. So that's a good thing. Okay. I struggle with the idea that we don't control outcomes because while I understand that we can't absolutely create, you know, a future that we want, you know, it certainly feels like we alter the probability of an outcome through you know, the goals that we set, the work planning. that we do, the planning, the work, the training. And so, I don't know, sometimes I get confused with that concept that, mm. you know, yes, uh, in some very precise way, I can't craft the future that I want, but if I don't set the intention, set the plans, do the work, then I'm, then I'm um, you know, not... Uh, affecting the likely outcomes in the way that maybe I could okay. otherwise. So, have you ever had an experience where you planned and plotted and it didn't come out the way you planned and plotted it? Okay, all right. So then what we do is we discard those, don't we? But we take credit for what appears to be the plan that I am in control of and I made it happen the way I happened because I did what I did. So we take credit for that, right? But we shouldn't take credit for any of it. Because <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> but I mean and, like... And I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. But like I, um, I want to learn how to fly an airplane. I go to the airport, I sign up for the classes, I do the training, mm -hmm. you know, I've radically altered my ability to produce that outcome. Then I, if I didn't go sign up for the school, do the work, do the training. So, um, okay. I, I still don't think we have any control. 
But I hear what you're saying, you know, and I do agree with you that that makes that gives an appearance that we we are we were a factor. But remember that this moment is created by everybody, not just by me. And so it depends not so much on what I do, but what everybody else is doing too. And what we are learning to do is to accept the moment when it is in our favor and when it isn't in our favor. And to give the credit to everyone. Every doctor graduated from some university. But all of them are good. You know. But this is not an easy thing to understand. It, it really isn't, you know, and, and the Buddha in one of his many teachings on understanding the Dhamma and understanding reality says it's deep and it's not decipherable by mere reasoning alone. But we have to go down deeper to see how it really works. And again, how it really works is there's this illusion of control. We spin around a lot in, if I had just done this, it would have been okay, you know, it would have been better. Again, the illusion that I control the situation. And if that were true, I'd still be 20. <laughs> and everybody in the world would love each other. Yes, David. The, I can understand about that we can't control the situation despite our best intentions and efforts. Mm -hmm. um, but it does seem that we influence or increase the likelihood. Like if I am trying to find more of a still spot and I make a commitment to sit on, sit on the cushion, try to quiet my mind and do that repeatedly, mm -hmm. there's this more likelihood that I'm going to be peaceful more often and, and find some space. So mm -hmm. I guess that fine line between influencing but not knowing that it may or may not happen, but there's, there's energy being put in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. And then the mind is trying to cultivate that focus for that outcome. Mm -hmm. So could you speak to Influence and tension as opposed to, you know, it's not a guaranteed deal, you know. Okay, so we've, we've, we've spoken about that. We've said we have no control. We have influence, but we have no control. Mm 
That's it. <laughs> we we can we you know we wish and we pray and we wear our lucky shirt but we have no control. So the the idea is just to stop thinking that we do. And that allows us to accept all that we receive because we realize it's a gift. And when it appears to be bad stuff, we look for the gift in that too. Because it's always a gift. Always. Because we all deserve it. Anyone else? Let's go inside and still ourselves. I want to thank all of you for spending time with us today. Much appreciated. Solidarity. A lot of intention. We want to get better. We want to get more loving. We want to get wiser. We want to know what woke us up this morning. We want a cure for cancer. We want a cure for war. Now when we can get that, then we know we've got some control. May all beings be liberated from suffering. May we be well. May we be happy. May we be peaceful. Thank you so much. Smile at a stranger. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.